Welcome back, Ag Watchers, to another episode. We've got a, a friend of ours from Russia, Andrei Sizov, the uh, the legend of Russia, the uh, the go-to person when you want to know about what's happening in that part of the world, in the Black Sea, the uh, the, the oracle of Russian forecasts, three, three years in a row, Andrei? Um, yeah, we were the most accurate forecaster three years out of four years. Yeah, and and probably I would add this year will probably won't be the most accurate forecasters because things have changed a lot during previous four months. And yeah, and so not this year probably, unfortunately. Yes, but um, before that, three times out of four year uh, or four. We'll we'll just forget about this year. We'll just say that this year is an aberration. <laughs> It's an unprecedented yeah. year. That's what the that's the phrases we've heard too much of with COVID. It's unprecedented, yeah. too hard to forecast. Yeah, first post-COVID year. Yeah, so just <laughs> shouldn't be taken into account. Okay, we'll, we'll throw that one. It's a bit. It's a bit like the uh, the World Cup or the, the yeah. Euros. Yeah, Olympic Games were pretty strange as well. So you know, it's... Uh, and they were and they were delayed a year. So we'll just yeah. we'll just we'll just delay the competition till next year. Yeah, yeah. So, so Andre, speaking of which, how is the Russian crop looking this year? Uh, it looks... Um, uh, we're likely to harvest an average crop slightly below average. Uh, at the beginning, things looked pretty good. As I briefly mentioned, three, four, five months ago, Uh we had a good winter uh, for not for all regions, but you know, problem with Russia, you know, it's kind of too big. Obviously, fortunately, uh, the whole country doesn't grow wheat, but you know, we have still we have many different regions south of Russia. That's mm, the major produce re- region close to ports, where the ports are number one growing region is one story. Central Russia is another story. Volga Valley is another story. Siberian Euros completely another story. So yeah, it's a big country and lots of things are happening all, all over the country. So so uh, so uh, if we go back to 2020, we had a very bad, very dry fall that year, abnormally dry, and crops, uh, plants, and it went in very weak uh, state, especially in the south, number one growing region. But for the south, winter was pretty good, enough of snow. Uh, lots of precipitation in uh, in spring and in summer, and at the end, it converted or almost has been converted into an almost record crop. But unfortunately, it wasn't the case for other regions. For Central Russia, it's if we go from, uh, to north from the south, and for Volga Valley, it was a quite challenging year. This year, uh, the sun was pretty dry. Uh, plus five, six, four Celsius to the no- normal temperature. And on top of that, we had a lack of precipitation, 60, 70% uh, of the normal precipitation in the center and the Volga Valley. And on top of that, on top of that, uh, winter wasn't so good for the central Russia because it wasn't harsh. It wasn't cold and it was plenty of snow. And it's kind of a new story to take away from this season that despite all that good winter, which looked like a good winter as a first sight, despite all that, that was a huge winter kill. More than 1 million hectares uh, were lost, actually. Around 3 million hectares of winter grains were lost this winter, uh, mainly because of ice crust. Because when you have okay. snow and it's getting warmer, and after that it's getting colder, and you have a nice crust, and if it's there on the field for more than three, four weeks, it just uh, start uh, plants start to suffocate because okay. of lack of oxygen, and they die. Was that was there was a bit of footage I saw on Twitter? I think it was where it had a big like a it looked like it was about an inch thick of a crust sitting above. Is that what that is? The ice crust. Like yes. it, sits, it sits above the ground and there's a gap underneath where where it's almost like trapped underneath or something. Yes, yes. It should, it can be just air behind it or snow behind it, but 
no uh, access to oxygen. And that's one reason. Another one, sometimes uh, plants, they just being frozen in that ice crust. And when it moves up and down, they're just physically being uh, taken right. out of the soil. Okay. Uh, so that was the case. And I mean, it, it you can see it from a satellite and it's hard to assess. Uh, and at the end of the day, it resulted in huge and unexpected winter kill. And those two uh, factors, one is very hot and dry summer in uh, central Russia, in the Volga Valley. And that uh, huge winter kill, quite unexpected, that led to the fact that this crop, which looked very good several months ago, now is looking below uh, average. Do, do, uh, do, our do, most do. recent forecast, uh, public forecast, is 75.4 million tons. Uh, uh, and previous year, it was uh, 85 million tons. And that so was a record, yeah? It, it was almost a record. Record was in 2017. It was almost record, just marginally below the record. So yes, it's substantially below the previous year, minus 10 million tons, and that's below the uh, below the average crop for previous five years. At the same time, USDA says 72.5. That's without Crimea. If we had Crimea, that would be 73.3. We have a number with Crimea. So, uh, but you know, it, it's it does look that bad because because uh, we have a, now uh, some regions are still harvesting that crop, Urals, Volga Valley, and Siberia. As I mentioned, Russia is kind of too big, uh, and Siberia, and there they had a very good uh, weather conditions in the second half of the wind, uh, of the summer, and right now they have almost or record high uh, yields in Siberia, which saves this crop. So seventy-two point five from USDA. That's look, that looks very very pessimistic. Pessimistic. Those going back to the ice crust from last yeah. year, uh, or, or 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 for for the winter period, was there any opportunity for those farmers to replant that area with spring wheat or anything else? Yeah, they uh, replanted is with spring wheat, but obviously, and we've seen a substantial increase in area under spring wheat this year because of that uh, factor. But the issue is. Not all regions can grow spring wheat. For example, Russian South, which we mentioned already, it can grow spring wheat it just um, for various reasons. Uh, and in many cases, farmers were pre uh, preferred to plant something else, not wheat. Uh, oil seeds and sunflower. Sunflower actually is number one, uh, number two cash crop, both for Russia and Ukraine. And uh, sunflower prices were great during the previous season, and many farmers preferred to plant uh, sunflower or other oil seeds. We also grow rape and canola and soybeans here. So uh, oil seeds, that was number one choice, I think, for replanting, not spring. A good, uh, a good idea, given the issues that we've seen in Canada with their uh, canola, rapeseed, uh tragedy over there that uh you know the price globally is going through the roof so um a, a, a very good choice for the russian farmer yeah yeah uh oil seeds uh great prices great margins uh during the previous season but the issue is in 2021 or more precisely at the end of 2020 russia started to mess russian government started to mess a lot with the uh, crops market markets and now almost everything is taxed and oil seeds are taxed as well and expert we have expert taxes for wheat for corn for barley for sunflower for canola yeah i think that's it and on top of it for sunflower for rape uh, sorry, canola and rape for soybeans and on top of that we have uh, expert taxes for sunflower oil so, so to, to give our listeners, a lot, obviously most of our listeners are either in Australia or in Scotland. Yeah. So, so to give them a bit of a, 
my mom, your family. <laughs> my mom and my auntie Julie, and, and, and my granddad. But it, it what what was the purpose of the export tax? Just to give a bit of a, a summary for uh, for the listeners who might not understand it over here in Australia. What was the point? Yeah. So. Um... Uh, Russian authorities, so the official explanation is that Russian authorities want to protect domestic customers from uh, global food inflation and by imposing those taxes, they believe they can control that food inflation or somehow lower it. So that's the explanation. Uh, I should also add that uh, food inflation is is on the rise here indeed, currently it's around uh, 7-8% annual. It's not really that high historically, historically it's relatively low level, but it's uh, double uh, compared to the previous year, but that time was historically uh, record low level. But with with an Australian perspective though, Andre, uh... Seven eight percent per annum for inflation is we haven't seen anything like that for probably two decades in Australia. I think we're lucky to get two or three percent inflation if it's really booming. So, you know that's 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 pretty high, really, from our from our perspective. Yeah, but you know it depends what we're comparing, what region we are looking at. As I recall, inflation U.S. inflation, food inflation, somewhere around five six percent right now. So you know it's not really that high taken in account what's happening on agricultural commodities markets as well, and taking account the huge ruble devaluation we saw in 2020. So basically it's a quite reasonable inflation, I would put it that way. So in my view, it was overreaction. And I should also add that, you know, in reality, uh, commodity prices, the correlation, the link between commodity prices and retail prices is relatively weak. It exists, but it's relatively weak. Uh, I, I should also add that there is one country in the world who has been treating the, its farmers like that. It's Argentina. <laughs> they have been fighting with food inflation for decades now. Under the same models, let's protect the customer. Let's ban beef exports. We just happened again. They have export uh, taxes on everything. And food inflation they have right now, it's more than 40%. One of the interesting things about Argentina is if you look at all the countries around the world and you look at the subsidies which farmers receive, so the amount of money that farmers make as a percentage of their income that the government yeah. pays. In Australia, in Australia, it's 1.2% of income yeah. comes from the government. In, in Europe, it's like 20% of their income comes from the government. Probably even 30, yeah. In Argentina, it's minus, like minus 40. Because the international sort of OECD declares that they do yeah. so much bad towards farmers. And Yeah, that's exactly what's happening in Argentina. It's, you're talking, I think, about PSC, producer supply yeah, estimate. Yeah. When you take yeah. everything in account, taxes and indirect uh, subsidies or negative subsidies in the case of Argentina. Yes, and right now in Russia, we have even more strict uh, regulation compared to Argentina. I look at what their, uh, some time ago, look at the, what their rates where and the Russian taxes are way more stricter. So, yes. So, I sort of decided that it's a good way to fight inflation that so, way. But, but it's from good my idea. And yeah, go ahead. But from, from my point of view, it doesn't like I'm just looking at it from the outside from, from an Australian point of view. Russia is the biggest wheat exporter in the world. Yeah. And so far. You normally, if in, in a given year, we're normally they're normally one of the largest exporters of wheat. So by increasing the cost of export, it has a negative impact or a positive impact upon prices around the world, which means the tax actually, you know, works against this, this Russian consumer potentially, because it flows. The Russian export tax has the potential to increase grain prices around the world. Yes, it uh, in, in theory. has that potential. And that happened 
uh, we clearly saw that in at the very end of 2020 and beginning of 2021, when uh, Russian taxes were probably the biggest uh, bullish uh, news around the world for the wheat market and probably for the whole grain so, market. I would also add, we, we actually predicted that in November, a month before everything started and was started to happen, we warned our clients that it was a very big risk that Russia could introduce taxes later that season. But we didn't expect that those taxes would be so restricted. It hasn't actually had the desired impact, though, has it? I mean, you said that the food inflation at 7 or 8% isn't, too bad, but but do you think that's because of the export tax, Andre, or or do you think it's more the case that the export tax has just helped the the competing farmers from other countries that are competing with Russia to you know to secure um, you know their own their own supply into the world market? You know, um, it, it sounds like from what you know it's happened with the global price, it's the Russian government's benefited the offshore producer rather than helped the consumer at home. Uh, so it's not uh, uh, or it's not or it, it did both. So we saw higher prices. Those higher prices benefited the farmers in Ukraine, EU, Australia, uh, Canada. So yes, it did help those farmers, and it helped them, and it's helping them uh, to face uh, substantially higher agricultural input prices. It helps them to upset uh, issues they have because of poor crops like in Canada or in parts of Russia. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, it's not happening Russian farmers. Uh, probably we can talk about it because it, it, that tax is not really simple. It's not just fixed uh, volume, or fixed sum or fixed percentage. It's kind of... It's, uh, cons- uh, it's um, being calculated every week, and that puts uh, that adds additional risk and additional cost for all participants. So yes, it deal- did help farmers all over the world, except <clears throat> Russia. And at the same time, indeed, it lowered food inflation a bit inside the country. But I don't think, because we did those calculations in the past, the correlation between grain prices and food inflation, and it exists, but the link is very weak. So, for example, we would have not 7% inflation, but I know 7.2% inflation or 7.3% inflation. So probably they deducted inflation, but but just by the few 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2, 0.3, something like not, that. Not, not, not a meaningful not a meaningful yeah, value. Exactly. And at the same time, they are re- those taxes really destroying the crop producing sector. So they're trying to solve that short-term task to somehow low, low food inflation. But at the same time, obviously, they're killing uh, farmer margins. They're killing investments into the sector. That uh, decision will inevitably have long-term implications. What what about the like the, we're talking about? It doesn't really make a difference to the the consumer, you know, the person who's buying a loaf yeah. of bread. It, it impacts the farmer, the, yeah. the producer, because he's effectively hamstrung because the export market becomes less attractive. But what about the sort of the the flour mill or the feed mill? Those companies are they doing well from it because they're getting a lower a lower purchase price for their their wheat or corn or whatnot? Yeah, that's a, uh, that that is indeed a substantial assistance for milling industry and first of all livestock industry because yes, they will have artificially lower green prices compared to the world market, and yes, they could benefit from that. Probably first uh, livestock. Uh, guys would benefit the most and are benefiting the most from this decision, uh, which implies that we could see uh, more Russian meat and poultry experts uh, in medium term. And the, but the lot- the, at this point, they're not regulated and uh, Russia actually is expanding their experts relatively fast and that will help that trend for some time. But the risk is that when it goes back, at some point, I imagine the export taxes may may go, like it will go back to the normal normal market structure. Uh, 
and then those those people fingers crossed and that could mean that those people who have been benefiting from the lower prices could also get a short sharp shock when they have to play global parity for their for the ingredients for the for the for the weight yeah oh, correct but for now they have a huge advantage uh right now that advantage could be measured around 50 dollars per ton for wheat for example that's that's the size of the tax and they're paying 50 dollars roughly less compared to what they should be paying are you fine in terms of like if this was to happen in somewhere like france or, or australia there'd be a lot of uproar about it there'd be a lot yeah. of you know uh, protests even argentina in argentina yeah <laughs> if they try to introduce something additionally yeah I, do you find is there any sort of backlash from sort of farmers or like the 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 grain exporters lobby groups or or whatnot uh, um, that's a pretty popular question i would say and i i i i say i would say no we don't see any organized uh no unrest no no tractor rallies to Moscow. no we haven't seen that and farmers and i think there are several reasons behind that uh some farmers just don't care or they still many farmers still don't understand how the tax works and how much money they have been losing already because of the tax you know some of them are, many of them are saying it's you know it's kind of exporters issues they're paying the tax i don't care yeah so that's probably that the majority of what farmers think unfortunately uh that's one of the reasons another one that Many still believe that the tax will be lifted sooner or later, perhaps relatively soon, because one of the explanation is popular explanation is that authorities they kind of losing the popularity, and in September very soon uh, in Russia there is a parliament election, and they want to do something, they want to fight for inflation before the parliament election. After that, they kind of could change start to change thing, things. Um, I think that's a wishful thinking, my personal point of view, but that's a uh, popular belief. And probably, and third reason is, you know, they're not really well organized. And uh, how to say it? You know, uh, not many will risk to do something uh, openly against yep. authorities. Um, and to cooperate somehow, you know, uh, links between farmers are relatively weak. Uh, the confidence in each other is weak. And that's why they don't, we don't have proper lobby groups okay. for farmers and exporters as well. And that's why uh, authorities can do things like that relatively easily. But, but the Russian, like in, in the last... In the last 10 years, 15 years, there's been a lot of investment or attempts to invest in by, you know, the big players, Chicago and whoever else. But surely they must be a bit concerned as well that, you know, as an exporter, they become pretty hamstrung, you know, with this extra impost on, on their margins. Is there any, Are they pushing at all for, for changes or is it just sort of see what happens? Uh, who, who could be pushing for changes? Like, like the larger exporters, like your Cargill, your Aston, Olam, those type of companies? Not really. The reason is uh, it's similar to... to so, no, no, they're not. No. Probably don't want to at rock the boat, publicly, though, uh, at least openly, no, they are not. They just hope, probably, that it sh could be lifted or eased. Yes, and that that that's a big problem. That's a big issue. Uh, a better scenario, just to uh, sit tight and not rock the boat, and you know, it's almost like if someone's going to do that from a, you know, from particularly if they're an external player, 
like a cargill, you know, you don't want to put your head up and, and uh, make yourself too noticeable, <laughs> you know, yeah. just. Um, they, they don't want to be noticed. And, you know, when you have a proper lobby, you can do it via lobby associations, but the issue is uh, they don't exist really, at least effective ones with the, which voice can be heard. So uh, that's why I don't think the tax will be lifted anytime soon. And, but there is still hope. And um, I think uh, Russian authorities do believe that uh, 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 Russian success, Russia's success in the wheat market, that number one place we already talked about, is kind of their, their own big achievement. And I think uh, President Putin himself is very proud of that. He really loves to talk about that. And when Russia will start to lose its number one spot, and that is very likely to happen relatively soon, I think that could uh, influence authorities to change their attitude or maybe to leave those taxes or to at least make them less restrictive. So that could happen, but not today and not next week or next month. And do you think do you think the tax is making farmers, you know, change their plans, reduce their investment, reduce the acreage that they'll plant the coming year? Uh, it definitely uh, will influence and hold that very Soviet type, left type of regulation of prices regulation we saw. Uh, in recent months, it's not only grain, it's not only oil seeds, it's not, it's also uh, retail prices for vegetable oils, some, uh, retail prices for sugars, government tried to regulate everything. And obviously, it's bad for investments in the agriculture, for the investments in, in the food sector. Uh, bad for investments for infrastructure, new terminals. For example, we had several clients, a few clients, uh, which were uh, invested a lot already of the time in uh, new terminals uh, expansion, some greenfield projects, and also expansion of existing projects. And everything was put on halt, obviously, after all the decisions. So yes, long-term negative uh, impact. Yes, even if if even if 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 it will be lifted soon. So as per farmers, as per the next uh, crop, I think that's a very good question. I thought, and we thought, and we talked about it earlier that Russian farmers could substantially cut the winter wheat area, winter grains area. There is no separate date on winter wheat winter grains area this year because of the tax, like minus five, minus 10 percent. That was the range. But uh, due to that in recent increase in world prices and also increase in domestic prices, they rallied substantially in recent uh, four or five weeks. Uh, farmers now have now when they make decision about winter planting now they have very good ruble prices and probably the and probably the decrease in area if it happens it, it will be relatively modest which, but which, which, i which, think i think there will be a decrease in uh winter green area, but not 10 percent, not seven percent but perhaps minus two minus four percent minus five percent minus five percent probably that's the maximum first of all it could be uh the volga valley regions which i mentioned already and which suffered badly very bad this summer and this year and you know for example orenburg that's a producer in uh, between urals big producer almost two million hectares of wheat they suffered a lot in current uh Current average yield is less than one ton of wheat, which is a disaster even for them. It's 0.8, and it's very low. And it means that this year they're very likely to lose prior, to lose money on wheat, despite those high relatively ruble price. And I yeah. think that region, and probably some other regions in the Volga Valley, they're likely to cut their winter wheat area. And we'll see a decline in winter grains area. 
not that big as I thought earlier because of that increase in price, but it, it will happen. It's likely to happen. And this, this will imply that Russia will cut winter area for the first time in, I don't know, in three, four, five years, for the first time in many years. But, but most of that cut will be for agronomic reasons rather than tax, you think? Um, A bit of both. Agronomic and economical. Because as I said, even we have uh, pretty good prices, 17 rubles, 16 rubles, it's roughly 210, $220 per ton. That's a good price. But when you have a, uh, a yield of below one ton, you're still losing money on wheat. And that's why you probably will plant, will seed less wheat for the next year. So, so and we on have- top of that, and on top of that, we had that Volga Valley region, it's still very dry. And you know, they can't wait forever. Uh, Russian sales, Russian centers, they still have some time uh, before farmers can make a decision. Uh, and they hope to see, and um, in some regions, they have very good moisture reserves, but Volga Valley is very dry. They have problems with economics. And that's why I think that regions very likely to decrease is its area under winter grains, which means winter wood, first of Cause, all. Because we, we, had, we had a similar situation to the tax to an extent, not, not a tax, but we had with, with barley in Australia, we had, you know, most of our barley in the last five years has gone to China. Yeah. Uh, us losing China has meant that we lose a big part of the market. And, and that has still caused, you know, a lot of farmers sort of think that the prices are still good. They're not as good as they would have been had we still had China. We'd probably the same as you actually, we'd probably be 30 to 40 dollars a ton that we would be able to add on to our price if we still had access to China. Mm. And and but we still saw when it was seeding last year or last in, in April that's just passed, the numbers were still high. The acreages were the fourth fourth highest on record. Because, because growers are still planting it and uh, we'll still find a market for it. But the overall price has lifted the price that the farmer receives. So he doesn't necessarily realize that, well, okay, he's getting, for argument's sake, in Western Australia, $300 a ton. But if you compare it against other prices into China, it should be more like a 330 or a 340. So it is interesting. And, and, and speaking of which, in, in Australia, we are... We, we have today we had the uh, Australian uh, crop forecasters, the ABARES, release their data. Yeah. And it's yeah, looking absolutely. like it's going to be an absolutely fantastic year uh, based, based on, on that data. But one of the issues we've had is uh, Western Australia got hit by a very bad frost on the weekend, which isn't taken into account in that data. And that could see maybe on wheat, maybe a million tons come off mm-hmm. quite feasibly. And, and that's a big concern at the moment is that we have still got this, a lot of these frost windows, and, and you'll know more about frost than, than we do in Australia, but uh, the plant is also at the moment is in the flowering stage as well. So from what I'm told, that means that it's at higher risk of uh, frost events. And this was an exceptionally bad frost in one of the most productive areas so that's mm-hmm. that's a million tons p- potentially like when we look at the previous crops that had frost like this it was about a million to a million and a half tons lost just because of frost and that's and that's just wheat that's before we start to talk about canola and barley yeah. so so it will be interesting to see what happens locally here over the over the next couple of weeks i don't think no. i don't think it's going to be as bad as your uh as your ice crust, uh, you know, we had, we had a frost for one morning and that's, that's enough for us. Uh, not, not, not three weeks of it. There are, yeah. there are still some areas though on the uh, Eastern seaboard, Andrew, that is going to be pulling in some pretty big uh, yields this year. And when you were mentioning the, that uh, Volga Valley area, Andre, with the, with the big producer doing, you know, doing a 0.8 or something and, very small yields. Um, they haven't got any spare labourers they could send across to help with our harvest. Um, yeah. So yeah, 
And probably th that is the question. And I, I've been hearing that a lot from our from Australian farmers and from some of our Australian clients. So is uh, labor shortage going to be an issue this year in Australia? Look, I... <laughs> Exaggeration. I think. No, I, I think. Know. I think it is. Five ten percent unharvested because of lack of labor force, because of uh, people can't move from one state to another, or by that time those restrictions will be lifted. Uh, it's really. It's actually really hard to say. If If you'd asked me this six months ago, I probably would have said it's an exaggeration and it's yeah. and it's a big issue, and, and it's not an issue. I think the reality is that you know the Matt and I are locked down just now. So we're, we're allowed in our garden. And if we leave the house, we have to have a permit in, in case uh, uh, the police stop you. So you've got to, you can only leave for prescribed purposes. But, but the reality is that last year was okay because we still had backpackers in the country. And, and most of our, a lot of our, our labor on farms is, is, is backpackers. So people on, young people on holiday. Okay. Traveling to work. So they, you know, travel from country to country and, and, and do the bits and pieces. What, what we've got now is th those backpackers have gone home. So they're no longer in the country. But you can't fly into Australia now, even if you're Australian. It's almost, yeah. it's almost impossible. There's only 3,000 people, I think. Is it that, that be about that? Is it 3,000 yeah, people? Yeah, it's week? the limit. There's a limit on how many can come in. And, and because of the different lockdowns in different states, then like just last week, I think it was. One of the states up north in Queensland, they had too many people in their hotel quarantine, so they stopped taking any international visitors for you know a fortnight or something. Um, so then it just reduces how many can come into the country. But but if you if you think about like three thousand people a week can come into Australia, whereas normally that would be three thousand in a morning, wouldn't it? Mm. Into Melbourne would probably be three thousand a day. Mm. at least so we've gone to that situation of not having it look and there's some the look people are creative so that we're they're trying to work our ways around it australia has got big machinery so it will mean people will work longer hours and um, they're trying to draft in sort of or encourage soldiers or retired soldiers to come and work uh, basically unemployed people trying to get them to work uh, just trying to yeah, get but... anyone that can Anyone that can drive a tractor, they're trying to get. Them yeah, out. but you know, when we talk about many million dollar, or not, but almost a million dollar combine, you know, you can't. You need someone relatively educated and preferably with some experience to drive it. To you don't need just hands; you need some skill and knowledge to drive that machine. And you know, it's I, 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 not, I, I, not an easy task to solve, I guess. And and that's they're trying to do it like sort of short training courses and uh, and do like five days training how to use a, a harvester or the or other one use... was using uh, a little while back they were talking about using some of the pilots the pilot, pilots that are that are not currently flying the big airplanes and you know transfer trying to transfer some of the skills of you know flying a big air, airline plane to um to, to moving a big bit of farm machinery um so but yeah they are, they are thinking of creative ways but i think it's it is going to cause I think it is going to cause some disruption, whether it means that you get a significant amount of the harvest that goes to waste. I think for the, probably for the grain side of thing, maybe not, but I've got more concerns for, for the smaller type, you know, like, yeah, or horticulture and some of those, um, citrus, you know, yeah, fruit that needs to be picked or vegetables that need to be picked at a certain time. I think um, yeah. they're the ones that are probably going to suffer more than the, than, than the bigger broad acre. I think, I think the biggest challenges we've had a pretty wet year so far for most of australia and there is talk of a lanina event in the coming weeks and months and if that eventuates as if there's in in theory there's a chance that the west east coast of australia would be wetter during harvest or or yeah. in that post-harvest period and that yeah. that's what happened back in 2000 2010 or 2011 i can't remember which one it was it was really wet during harvest so Whilst a lot of it got harvested, it did end up a lot of downgraded, you know, feed wheat, which was, you know, practically worthless uh, for a lot of people. So that, that's the big risk that it doesn't get harvested quickly enough. I've got a bit of faith that it will all be okay in the end because uh, they've been trying to work on it for probably the last six months to try and get, you know, solutions in place. Uh, but it's not going to be, 
it all depends on the weather. If we have decent warm weather and, and no rain, no storms, no mice, no snakes, then we then we should be fine. Touch yeah. wood. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's quite so it seems like it's gonna be quite challenging harvest. And if you have uh rains during the harvest, obviously it's it will it's not just a problem of the quality, you need more time to harvest that grain to wait to while it will dry in the field. Yeah, and with a labor shortage, it's gonna be an additional challenge and i think it's quite interesting i mean uh in 2020 the whole world was watching how uh food supply chain will work and the way would work and there were a lot of concern that because of covid restrictions sh labor shortages we could see some problems but at the end of the day we didn't see any substantial problems with some just relatively small issues first of all in the livestock sector in, in the us and in the eu so the world uh, solved that issue with feeding itself quite good but this year and now this year people are kind of get relaxed so 2020 is behind us but it looks like 2021 is going to be could be more challenging because you know the australia have pro has problems with the lockdown to harvest this crop and we have prices now already higher than in the previous year freight is substantially higher mm. than in the previous year uh and we have some problems in regions like afghanistan i don't know how they're going to feed themselves oh it's going to be horrific so, yeah and we have the problems with russian tax and russian crop is not doing that uh, is not looking that great and so the, and, i think and, at and, the end and, of the and, date 2021 could be more challenging for uh, if we look at well, if, how world will feed itself this year. Well, Andre, Andre, the two of us look at grain markets all the time, yeah? And this year, it almost seems like every week there's something quite bad happened somewhere. You know, like when you look at on the weekend or last week, you had Hurricane Ida, which yeah. is which has shut down the Mississippi or, or, or large parts of it. You know, we had a wet harvest in, in parts of Europe. We had Russia downgraded. We had, yeah. uh, well, Argentina banning beef exports. Brazil has halted Brazil, those frosts after very dry uh, summer, winter but, in Brazil. But they've, but they've the also... The crop was destroyed. They've also halted beef exports as of this weekend. Um, yeah. and, and you sort of think of it, and like from our point of view in Australia, we haven't really had anything other than the labor issue. And, and the frost at the weekend, we've actually had a quite good run of it for the last year. You know, everything sort of worked in our favor. You know, like a lot of, I, I guess the only issue I have is, is a lot of people keep saying this is the new norm and we'll get these prices forever. And there's an <laughs> expectation that this is, you know, the golden times. Uh, but it is it is good. You know, like we, we've got a podcast later on this week with, uh, sort of an industry leader in, in the Australian ag industry. And it'll be interesting to see their views on it because we are coming into a period of, you know, fantastic production. Even with that frost taking out a big chunk of grain nationally, and that's going to be a disaster for individual farmers, but nationally, it's going to be a big crop with really high prices. And that's yeah. fantastic. So, yeah, but part of that will be taken out of farmer pocket because of uh, rallying agriculture input prices, which you know, True. which are rising even faster than crop prices. I mean, I, I look at that correlation, and I think there was an analyst, and I was check his charts that uh, that uh, ratio corn. Uh, potash, for example, and other I think, fertilizer. I think I think I think, I've thing, I think I've seen that before. Yeah, and the thing is. Uh, fertilizer prices, for example, are going up faster than crops prices, which obviously takes a huge part of that margin out of the farmer's pocket. And for countries like Russia, and for Russia probably, because there are no other countries like this now with such restrictive taxes, it's a huge problem that because it implies, so it's not like so Russian officials prefer to think that, you know, it's kind of now Russian farmers, they are making too much money. And if we take some money out of them, it's not a problem. But the issue, yes, it was the case in 2020. 
But the issue is, you know, inputs prices are also raising fast, and in many cases, even faster than crops prices, which implies that you have a regulated price for your crops. You know, again, it's not a fixed amount, it just varies. So basically, I should add that, basically the idea of the tax floating tax, Russian tax, uh, the government wants to take 70% out of the difference between the export price and $200 US dollars. So for example, right now, it implies that the tax soon should be around $70 per ton. So $300 FOB, $300 FOB minus $200, $100, 70%, $70. And that's, as you can imagine, that's $700 out of 300, that's a lot, that's a very huge uh, part of farmer's income. And at the same time, when your price is being regulated, your uh, crop prices, input prices are not being regulated. So yeah, it implies yeah, that true. your costs are going up while the uh, price of your produce is more or less stable. And that's the idea of the government. It wants to, be to keep it stable. That means that margins will be destroyed. And right now they're being destroyed already in parts of Russia, Volga Valley again, as I mentioned several times. Because so you so so you. So you've got the output, which is obviously a regulated market. Then you've got the input, which is a free market. Yeah. And it just like I, my my view from an economics point of view has always been that governments. We we've had calls in recent years for things like minimum pricing for wheat, or you know the government to say that you have to be paid this amount for 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 all sorts of agricultural commodities. And I just think it always ends up in disaster. Yeah, it always ends poorly. There's no the governments, and I, I hope no one's listening from the government. <laughs> they just tend not to do very well at managing these type of things. The government should generally stay well out of markets and just let the market tends to. You, you're an economist, Matt, so you can probably put some more 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 eloquent ways of putting it. But the market just works itself out. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that from a government intervention perspective, if they stick to areas where there's a clear market failure or areas where they can provide value, like in an R&D sense, you know, those kind of areas are where they can really make the best impact when they start trying to manipulate the actual market itself in terms of the signals that the market is sending, like price or volume, um, that's where they come unstuck and they should just stay out of that one. Which if, Probably the biggest example that we have in Australia is up until 1990, the price of wool had a minimum price. So there's a minimum price that farmers could be paid for wool. And it just rose and rose and rose till it wasn't a viable price. The and stockpile then, the stockpile continued to just sit there yeah, because they, so they weren't selling it. They were just... And, and, and then it took, after that got removed, it took... 20 years for the market to recover mm, and, yeah. and, and some argue that it hasn't recovered you know yeah, that, that, that... yeah we, we've seen many examples like that all over the world especially when you know government tries to place with the market stocking restocking we've seen that in thailand that's a big political issue first of all with stock and rice because they need support from farmers they have prices farmers are happy and then they don't know what to do with that rice we've seen very similar stories in India in Pakistan which is now a big importer but just several years ago they were paying I know like 100 or 200 150 dollars but on subsidy to export that wheat which they were accumulating earlier yeah so yeah, it's, it happens all the time. That's why I'm telling everyone in Russia, you know, there was the idea also here to, we had that intervention fund. So it's kind of stocking scheme. Government yeah, yeah. should buy the grain when prices are too high, sell the grain when prices, uh, sorry, when prices are too low, sell the grain when prices are too high. We had it for many years and it was fortunately uh, abandoned, but now they want to introduce this again. And obviously it's kind of one old uh, century one uh, century old practice which proved to be inefficient all over the world you used to have it in the uk as well in, in britain up until 20 years ago 20 odd years ago is so, that when you is that when your mate margaret thatcher came into power andrew yep yep uh, but but uh, andre just before we go just just one question are people generally like you're obviously you're talking to a lot of people and 
um, you're, you're trying to convince people or tell people that this export tax is 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 a lot of rubbish yeah basically yeah. yeah what's the general reaction are people do people just not care really or, or, or are they generally sort of in agreement with you um some people are in agreement um yes some yeah i've wrote several pieces about that we, we did some calculation on how much farmers were actually losing and that's a lot of money it's a few billion dollars per year because of that tax uh but yeah mm, people people agree officials some officials do listen but you know it's kind of there was a big task to do whatever whatever it takes to reduce reduce food inflation now and they just don't want to think about what will happen next year that probably will say um, the general approach among officials and that's that's that hopefully when we see some shocks like i don't know substantial decrease in production substantial decrease in uh, winter rear, substantial decrease in exports, and President Putin won't be happy that Russia is number one, not uh, is not number one wheat exporter anymore. Things could change, but that's not going to happen soon. I think I'm afraid. Well, Andre, I just want to say thanks for taking the time out in your in your afternoon and our evening uh, to to come along and speak. I always enjoy chatting to you and finding out what's happening in, in your part of the world and i'm sure most of the listeners look at, uh, at russia as a as a as a major competitor but the reality is that we're all just people in agriculture we're all just farmers we're all the same really no matter which country you come from and uh, you know the russian government's probably doing a worse job of uh, looking after farmers than australian farmers the Australian government's probably doing a decent job looking after the farmers. So, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll leave it there, uh, Andre, and uh, and thanks for thanks for coming along. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Um, thanks for coming. Always good to talk to you, Andre. Um, see you um, when you got nothing on. It's been good. Ciao for yeah. now.